Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast (laughs) for the year 2023. We are so excited. This is our 401st podcast. 400. 400. We just calculated that we have approximately... 6,000 pages of transcription <laughs> of our podcast. And we were wondering, I wonder if anything in there is actually any good. And what would it end up, like how many pages is what is it going to end up once we take out all the ums, I don't know. What did you mean? That material. makes no sense to me. <laughs> Enough for a short white paper. <laughs> and ultimately we end up right where Charlie Munger said we'd be, which is, what are you doing for the rest of the semester? Because it's so simple. And we've turned it into this monster of a podcast. But hopefully you guys are enjoying it and we're glad to be continuing it. It's really fun for Danielle and I to do it. Um, We know you're not just joining us, but if you are, we'll start the year with this real quick. Um, Let's introduce ourselves briefly. We haven't done that forever. Oh, all right. Phil Town. Hi. I have... I have been investing since 1980, where I entered the investing world with the uh, a background as a whitewater river guide and a former former soldier, having lived 13 years out of a out of a of a waterproof bag mostly, and um, that was that was me not coming from Wall Street at all, but I learned to invest Warren Buffett style from a mentor. And then I went out and did it. It started with $1,000 or so and and um, just kept working it. And then after I was successful, after years, a good friend of mine named Marcy Shimoff said, oh, you should write a book about this. So I thought, well, how do you do that? And Marcy led me by the hand to her agent who taught me. Her name is Bonnie Solo. She's terrific. And she taught me how to uh, write a book. And I wrote one, and it became a New York Times bestseller, <laughs> which was ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. And then I wrote another one. That was called Rule Number One. And then I wrote another one called Payback Time. Also became a New York Times number one bestseller. And then um, Danielle and I, Danielle is my daughter. Why don't you introduce yourself? Since this I is that. funny. I feel weird introducing myself on our yeah, let's, 400th let's episode, but you... I'm intrigued by your description of yourself. Um, yeah. Hmm. Hi, guys. This is, I feel like I'm introducing myself to my family. It's very weird. Um, I'm Phil's daughter, and I had zero interest in investing and actively hated every time he would try to talk to, about it, to me about it <laughs> all of my life and majored in religion in college, uh, took one economics course pass fail and enjoyed it minorly but not much um and basically tried really hard not to go into business and then uh 
ended up going to law school because I was fascinated by the law and by it having real effect on people as opposed to academia, which felt to me like it was fascinating yet somewhat uh, isolated in its effect. And I loved that the law really affected people's lives. So I went to law school thinking that I would do something with religion, constitutional law, something like that, and ended up through various (laughs) uh, strange circumstances, worked in the Middle East for a little while, and ended up loving working with businesses and entrepreneurs, which was truly your background and therefore my background. And I discovered that the excitement of working with people who had an idea and wanted to make it happen was the most fun I could have without actually doing it myself. And I did not want to do it myself. It takes a certain kind of person. Um, But I loved getting to work with them as a lawyer. So basically, I helped people start businesses and invest in businesses uh, through venture capital as a lawyer. And then... um, started to realize that the 90 or 100 hour weeks were not so good for me and was forced by my health into talking to my dad about what on earth do you do with this investing thing and uh, we decided to start this podcast so that we would kind of be like peer pressured slash forced into actually talking to each other and It really wasn't much more than that. I don't know why we did a podcast exactly, except just like we knew that we would not talk to each other and it would probably be more fun to record it, I think. And so that's what we did. And then uh, after a short amount of time and some life changing things that happened to me through learning about investing and frankly, by you being so unbelievably generous in how you took my extreme level of questioning and took it seriously and answered every bit of it. It helped me be able to turn this investing concept into something that actually worked for me in a different way than it works for you. And that made it so beautiful for me. Then I got so many questions from people about how on earth I was doing that and how I was making it work for me. People who were like me, who you know, did not necessarily want to go to business school or be an econ major, but who live in the world and need to figure out what to do with money and try to understand what this stock market thing is. And so I thought, well, maybe I should write a book about this experience. And so then I started to write the book. We thought that it would just be me. It ended up being both of us because you were so intertwined and your knowledge was so important to what went into the book and so we wrote that book in my voice but also together and uh it sadly was a complete failure because it was on the bestseller list but not number one (laughs) (laughs) it made it to number seven number seven understand you know that there are uh, somebody somebody in publishing once told me how many books get written every year that are not published it's an, it's an enormous number, as you can imagine. What do you mean? And like people the, who write without a contract and then try to get yeah. it published and can't? Try to get it published. Yeah, yeah, or they yeah. have an idea to get published yeah, and yeah. nobody wants it or whatever. Yeah. It's just, you know, pr- 
probably the hundreds of thousands. And I think there's something like 6,000 books that get published every year. To be on the New York Times bestseller list is just extremely amazing that you can sell books. I mean, really, you have to sell a lot of books to get on the New York Times bestseller list. You have to sell like... And this is what I didn't know is you have to sell a lot of books up front before the book even comes out. That's the part I didn't know. So everybody listening who heard us at that time talk saying, please buy the book before it comes out. Thank you. You you. did that. Um, It's amazing. Because I did not understand the reason that everybody writing a book asks you to please pre-order is that all those pre-orders stack up into one giant sales number that then counts for the first week of the book coming out. And that's why you see so many books that land on the bestseller list the first week they come out and then the next week are not on the bestseller list anymore because the sales have been stacking, 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 stacking. And then the next week they go to like sort of normal levels. And, uh, and that's what happened to invested. We stacked, stacked, stacked thanks to all of you guys. And we got on the list and, um, and it's been said not been on the bestseller list, but it's been selling really well since then, which is really it's such exciting. A good book. It's still selling, and it's and in fact, rule number one, which I wrote in two thousand five, I think. So that was seventeen years ago. That's still selling. It is. So it's really, funny you can tell what still sells because obviously bookstores aren't going to carry physical actual books that don't sell, and right. often. In the before times, when I used to go to bookstores, I would go and see if your book was there and if our book was there. And your and rule <laughs> it was usually rule number one and invested. And then sometimes they would have payback time. <laughs> and it was like a little town family right there. It was very exciting. Well, just a little tip on publishing for those of you who are ever thinking about doing something like this. The, the publishing companies are not in the business of selling books. This, this is a, kind of a surprise. The publishing world is such a absolute mind mess to me. Yeah. Oh, it, it's a tough business. I mean, we you know we published with two of the biggest publishing houses in the world. Yeah, you know, and, the best. Um, yeah, the best. And they they don't sell books. I mean, they think they sell books. They try to sell books, but they understand deeply enough that they're not great book salespeople uh, or organizations enough to know that we want to bring people on who have a platform that mostly what they're going to publish, unless you're just writing this amazing earth shaking book that in just in terms of the writing of it, like it's something it's going to win a Pulitzer Mm -hmm. or something like that. They, they have a great deal of difficulty committing to publishing a book unless you have what's known as a platform. And a platform in the industry is a lot of people who are already there who can do just what Danielle just said, pre-buy the book. Yeah. And and that way that they know the book is going to get recognized by the press and start to pick up momentum because it's got a large wave that happens in into the book selling industry. You're going to get on TV. You're going to get on 100 radio shows. Uh, you're going to get written up in lots of different uh, places. And they can put their PR machine to work, which is, by the way, if you ever want a really tough business, go into the PR business. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine 
every week having a new book <laughs> that you have to go to the same people with and tell them this is the best book ever? I can. 50 times a year. Because ah. one of my best friends since childhood is a book publicist, Anna Walsh. She's in New York. If you guys need a book publicist, she's the best. Um, and she, yeah, she is pushing a new book all the time. And do you remember when we went to, we did some, oh, we did like Yahoo Finance, a show mm -hmm. together, like an interview mm -hmm. show. And we went to the Yahoo mm -hmm. Finance place. And we walked like through the, you know, floor where everybody's working to get to the little studio area. And, um, and there were just stacks of books on each person's desk who was, it was obviously the, the section of like the book uh, receivers. Right. And one of them like was helping us to get ready for the show. And, and I said to her something like, I see you've got plenty to read. And she was just like, they just come. They come all the time. And those books that actually made it to that stack on my desk are like 1% of the books that right. I receive. And I just was like, oh, I get why it's so hard stack. to get a book in front of people all of a sudden. Because you, right. as an outsider, you don't know the volume that's coming in. It's crazy. It's crazy volume. And you you've got a you've got a team if if you've got people who are behind you which starts with you've got something to say that they they would enjoy hearing but honestly really it starts with a platform i mean they're going to get behind a platform and when i came out with rule number 1 i was actually on stage with presidents you know and world leaders and on a tour called get motivated that did maybe uh, 30 events a year and every one of those events filled an arena mm -hmm. and I was on stage in front of these arena audiences for five years before I wrote rule number one so I'd probably been in front of I think you know if you do 30 of those a year and there's let's say 10 to 15,000 people per event you're talking to 300 to 400,000 people a year and I'd been there for five years, so I'd already been in front of almost two million people live. And when the publishers realized that, they realized, bingo, that's a platform. There's two million people out there who have heard me speak about this subject, and I'm on stage for an hour, so they're going to remember if they see the book, you know, they're going to remember something about it. And so for that reason, I remember Random House sent a group of people, about 10 people, um, my they 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 bought the book in a uh, in an auction based on the potential for this platform to really be an effective way to sell books and then they sent people to Philadelphia they went on a train from New York down to Philadelphia because we were doing an event in Philadelphia and there were 20,000 people there um, at the event and when they came out of there they were so fired up to do this book and to, to really push it out there and give it all it, it could have and for that reason, you know, they they got their PR machine behind it. I say they don't sell books. That's not really true. They have a, an amazing machine that produces PR, huge newspaper ads that gets the attention of, in my case, CNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, all the radio shows. You know, they, they're willing to have you on because Random House is out there telling people this yeah. is one of the best books of the year. You have to do this book. Yeah. 
or, so that's or rare. HarperCollins and, uh, really, are invested. No, don't expect that for your book. It no, was, remember, I was not expecting it. And remember, I got put uh, in the taxi feed in New York City taxis, yes. an interview that I did with... Um, now, the, the taxi feed CNBC. is the TV that's in the back seat of the taxi that's just running and then you know, their ads are coming up. But yeah, yeah, and nobody told me CNBC. Yeah, no, that's that was the HarperCollins book. Pulp. They were amazing. Um, but nobody told me like I just did this interview. It was like going to be some little online thing. You just do everything they tell you to do. So I just did this interview and then I got a text from my cousin who lived in New York and he was like, I'm in a taxi. And you're on the TV. <laughs> like, is this correct? <laughs> like, am I in the Matrix? Like, what's happening? And I was like, I don't know. That is news to me. <laughs> like, it was the it's weirdest thing. And then he took a picture yeah. of it and sent it to me. And I was like, apparently I'm on the taxi in New York. Uh, I don't know how to process well, one this. One of the reasons you were on the taxi in New York is because you really look good on TV. That's you don't look good anyway, you do, <laughs> but you look fabulous on TV and you really carry a camera. I mean, you really can speak well on TV. It's amazing how talented you are at that. Thank you. I was and like, so when they saw nervous. this interview, they saw this interview and they just went, oh, wow, that's she's really good. Let's put that out there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So there's, there's elements that sort of build the process that, that happen. If you're good on TV, that really helps. If you do good radio interviews, that really helps. You know, people will keep you on longer. And, and if you have a good book, that's kind of important. Like, this is what this is what gets <laughs> me. Important. Right, like everything, it's exactly like the difference between getting a job and then being good at your job. Right. So like everything well you've just said gets you the book deal and getting a book deal is super hard. And then once you've got the book deal, like we got that done and I was like, okay, now, you know, all I have to do is write a really good book. Oh, that, you know, like it was such a freaking tall order and I had no idea how to do it or if, even if I could write a good book. But I knew that that's what had to happen because otherwise we would be selling something that would die very quickly. Like it would sell in the beginning to the people who listen to our podcast but they wouldn't go tell anybody else to go buy the book and right. it wouldn't go anywhere and it wouldn't. And this is why rule number one is still on bookshelves because it's a really good book and people say to each other, Oh yeah, I read that book. That was really good. It's worth reading. Or like I read that two years ago. I'm going to buy it for yeah. a friend or whatever. And just personally, it was so important to me to not have something I was embarrassed about. I really wanted to be proud of that book. Like I'll probably never write another book. I want that book to be good. And I am deeply proud of it. And it's amazing that 
that that happened. I don't know how we started talking about this, but yeah, that book is, uh, it's behind me in German and English and paperback, and we have it published now in, I have lost count of how many languages, but I know definitely I know. Crazy? Chinese, Mongolian, Japanese, I think, Russian oh, for sure. We just got a Russian contract. Um, look, at, look, at, look at this stuff. So there's that one. And just, this is so that's fun. rule number this one, one yeah? Fun things about it. There's that. Yeah. I don't even know what languages these are. I should really know. But again, these are these are ha like for invested. This is still happening. Like publishers are are coming now 2 years later. What what 3 years later? Saying Zavada. like can we publish it in <laughs> Russian or can we publish it in uh Spanish or whatever? And this that's again this because it's a good book. Like that's what makes me excited. I'm like people that's still want to read this. Yeah. I know we had a dozen more of these. I think we we're in 18 languages around the world or something. And that's just really like, wow, I'm not sure what happened there. It just, we tried to do our best to write something really good when we did invested. I was really proud of the writing you did there. It was magnificent and how, and the honesty, that's one of the things in the book that's really powerful is how honest you were about your experience. And, Thanks. and uh, you know, it was hard for both of us. It was. We, yeah, we talked about some raw stuff in there. Raw stuff for sure. Um, and with rule number one, oh man, it just, it's sold, I think now, over 500,000 copies in Baltimore. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's up there. That's awesome, Dad. And, um, wow. I it's like, well, I don't feel like, you know, I feel like all the credit goes to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I mean, we just tried to put down our experiences around the path that they set for us, you know, it's like if you're climbing a mountain, the first guy's up the mountain, that's really hard because you don't know if it can be done. Yeah. And, and, and the second guy up the mountain, you know, it's still pretty hard because it's only been done once and maybe that person was really talented. But when you're the 10,000th person who climbed the mountain, it's not that big a deal. You, True. What, what you have is this well-beaten path. And so right. all, all we've done really with these three books is write, about our experience of going down that path. And hopefully that helps you guys uh, figure this out. And then that's really what this podcast is about too. It's really taking the knowledge that comes down from Ben Graham and Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and, uh, and taking it through our, you know, looking at that knowledge through our, our glasses, you know, our sunglasses, whatever color those are. Yeah. Well, and, and I always we'll say this podcast is for me because that's how I see it. Like, I want to know things. And this is my opportunity to find them out from you. Yeah. Um, and to that end, we were going to talk about our like New Year's whatevers. I don't know, resolutions, plans, goals, etc. Some people love New Year's resolutions. Some people hate them. Some people are indifferent. How do you feel about that sort of thing? You know, um, you know, we, let me let me answer that in just a second. I just want to say something really quick that um, a friend of mine just passed away kind of suddenly. Um, I think he, his heart was damaged by COVID and then I don't think he fully recovered. And when he got sick from something else, it, it did it. Mm. And I just want to say I want to big just a shout out to his family of how deeply I appreciate um, how much he believed in me and believed in this path of investing. His name is Salim Koja. He's um, 
born in Kenya, um, Muslim background and family and, uh, you know, kind of came up through all of the kinds of discrimination you can come up through with that background in, in lived in Canada and was one of the great promoters of stage presentations, live presentations in Canadian history. Um, he's had some of the most important speakers in the world on stage in Canada, more than anyone else in Canada ever did. Um, he's, you know, been mentored by some of the biggest families in Canada to help him get through that amazing process of getting a, an arena locked down and then getting the, the people who are going to speak there locked down and then promoting it successfully is extremely difficult. I've, I've been around that industry for over 20 years and I can tell you that there aren't five people in the world that know how to do what Salim knew how to do. Mm. It's less than five, less than on one hand. And um, his his passing away, I think, is a blow to that entire industry and to all the people who will never see the kinds of shows that he could put on. He was phenomenal in every way and uh, he's, a, he's a great loss, I think, to us. So just wanted to say that, you know, start, we're starting the year missing um, one of the kinds of people that made this kind of teaching available to you guys and, and we'll miss him. Hmm, that's um, very sweet. On, on to the new no, but new I think that's a really nice thing to say because a lot of people were lost last year and maybe that's almost a more appropriate way to start a new year is by tribute to those we lost. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear about that. So I know you guys have also experienced loss. The you know, there's no question that it's all been around us, and um, and that's part of our world now. So take the precautions, I guess, and do the best you can with it. But be sure to acknowledge the people in your life that are are doing doing well. I feel feel really lucky that I was able to stay in touch with Salim right up to the last week, and mm. and was able to tell him how much I cared for him and how deeply I appreciated everything he's done. So you just don't know. I mean, I had no idea it was that sick. It just happened to be something I wanted to tell him at the end of the year. So uh, New Year's mm -hmm. resolutions. Wow. I mean, maybe that feeds into it a I little mean, bit. I mean, maybe that's what it is, is call the people you care about and yeah, tell them. A, there's a resolution. Yeah. I think I, th I think New Year's resolutions can tend to make you feel bad about yourself in a way. It's like asking yourself to look at the things that you think you lack as opposed, you know, sort of my cup is half empty. Let's really look at the half empty part of this cup. Um, but just for you so personally, because different that. people you have really different experiences. Yeah, no, I'm saying it's just you, you can do it like that, or you could look at the part that's half full and and build that. I, it's like, but I, I don't like resolutions that you're not going to do. The, I hate to put myself in a position of, acknowledging how undisciplined I might be <laughs> my my weakness of character that I can resolve to do things and then not do them ah so this I mean, is very interesting is I think a resolution is another word I think we should treat it like this it's another word for I promise I will do this and that's very different than oh a resolution is a goal that I'll try to do and you guys I know we've talked about this before I, I feel like goals are great but they can't be something you can't do a goal on something that's super important, right? You don't make a goal uh, on things that are critical and life altering if you fail. This is if you fail to achieve this thing. You, you you don't make a goal when it's 
the way you're going to get there is to be fully committed and all in. And so I think that that's what the essence of a resolution should be. It should be, I'm all in to do this thing. So you probably want to make sure that there's not a lot of them because you can't be all in all over the place. So, I mean, for some people, maybe it is a goal, though. I'm not all in. I'd like to do this. <laughs> I'd like to eat less sugar. Well, I, okay. Well, let me let me suggest that you consider goals because all the gurus of making your life better all talk about goals all day long. And I think, right, a goal is a strong intention. That's what it is. It's not a promise you're going to do something. It's a strong intention to do it. Uh, maybe not even that strong, you know, like you said, I'm going to eat less sugar. Yeah. It's, it could be fairly weak intention. And there's an old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And there's a reason for that. And that is something happens to our psychology when we have a good intention. We like, we have this goal, we put it on the refrigerator and now it, there's something that happens that says, ah, I kind of did it. I kind of, Maybe. In a way. Maybe. But there are people who love that list that they put on the refrigerator. So this is Uh, what I think of when I when I think of resolutions and New Year's goals and blah blah blah. The brilliant, amazing Lord of My Life psychology person, Gretchen Rubin. (laughs) She's not a psychologist or a scientist in any way. I just adore everything she does. Gretchen Rubin wrote in a fantastic book called Better Than Before. And in Better Than Before, she laid out. And Gretchen, Gretchen, by the way, back to our previous subject, blurbed the book Invested for you. She did, which was amazing. And really helped sell it. And I got to interview her for my Mostly Invested course. And so the the exclusive video of us chatting is on the Mostly Invested course. Yeah, you owe Gretchen big time. She's amazing. So, by all of her books, they are all worth it. Talk about somebody who has a platform, but then the book delivers. Holy crap, by all of them. I think I have multiple (laughs) copies of all of them. So, in Better Than Before, she laid out her diagram of how people respond to expectations. And this directly i think she even talks about new year's resolutions as having inspired this i'm expecting to do this thing kind of a goal sure she uses the word expectations so there's a um just like we were talking about several episodes ago there's a diagram with four boxes i like the word expectations for that so there's a good word inner and outer expectations and her insight is that we each respond differently. There are four types of people who each respond differently to inner and outer expectations. So the first, and she has names for each type. And I haven't read the book long enough ago or close enough ago to remember the name. So I won't say them. So there's somebody who responds very well to inner and outer expectations. Inner expectations meaning my own decision, goal, desire for myself. I want to exercise more. That's my expectation for myself. And then there's my husband who wants me to exercise with him. And his expectation is that I will exercise more with him. So those are inner and outer expectations. So some people respond very well to both. 
then there are people who respond very well to outer expectations, but poorly to what, inner expectations. Do you remember what she calls those people who respond well to both? She or had really good names. For, oh, the upholder. That one's the upholder. The upholder. She's okay. an upholder. I'm taking notes here. Um, oh, it's like the best. Dad, you would love this book. I don't know how you haven't read it. I think you just have been reading too many um non-brilliant books go read every <laughs> Gretchen Rubin anything okay so the second Great. one responds well to I don't remember what I just said but let's say well to outer expectations and not well to inner expectations now these are the people who when you say I'm gonna go exercise more they are immediately like, whatever, I can let myself, like, that's not even like a real thing. You know, what, I, I don't even have a second thought about that. But do incredibly well, again, in the exercise example, if like you have an exercise buddy and they say, I'm going to be outside your door at 7 a.m. to go running. And you would never in a million years not show up for that person who's outside your door at 7 a.m. That would oh, be like wow. beyond death horrible. Outer wow. expectations, they're the people who do really well if they have like a personal trainer because then they have an appointment with somebody. Um, outer expectations work for them. Then there's the opposite. You respond very well to your inner expectations, but very poorly to outer expectations. So if somebody's expecting you to show up at 7 a.m. to go running, you are like, I could care less what this other person wants to do. They can go running on their own. They have nothing to do with me. I'm just going to decide on my own what I want to do. But if you have decided that you're going to go running tomorrow morning, you would never change that because you've oh, decided. You trust yourself. That was a good decision at the time. Therefore, I will follow through with it. The end. The other person, whatever. They can show up or not. Look, let's let's do this. let because we're really getting near. I know. Time. Let me just finish the fourth one and then let's stop and then we and can talk come, about it. More. Let's come back to these. And it's do so interesting. More. The fourth yeah, one, are. ready for this one, responds yeah. poorly to both inner and outer expectations. It's the worst. So basically, call that. that's called the rebel. And I know a lot about that one because I'm pretty sure I'm mostly that one. Well, how um, do you do anything? Well, okay. So how do you do here. anything? So a big uh, part of the book is like, how on earth do rebels ever do anything ever? Do ever? Anything. Because if okay. somebody wants them to do it, they're going to say, no, screw you. I'm definitely not doing that thing. And if they decided inside to do it, they're going to be like, well, that doesn't matter. I changed my mind five minutes later. I don't have to do anything. Leave me alone. So like, oh, how I, do rebels I ever do anything? About this. It is so that, that interesting. Is and okay, nobody who's not Gretchen Rubin has ever described that dichotomy of reactions in a way that makes as much sense as that to me. Um, Better than before, great book. All her books are great, but that's the one where she lays out that. Uh, better. Than at least I'm pretty sure that. Shoot, before. now I'm. Well, anyway, so better cool. than before is a really good one. If it's not that one, then it's. I hope one it's that of one. the other ones. 
Hi, guys, a quick addition here. So it is the book Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin, where she first described that uh, paradigm of the four tendencies. And then she wrote an entire book about it after that, because it was so popular to her readers, called The Four Tendencies. So both of those books uh, go into these in great detail, and I highly recommend both of them. I think these are real important for investing. Exactly. That's why I brought it up. This year, you've got to get yourself geared up for something. So let's let's talk about it. That's awesome. So until then. All right. Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. Welcome to January 2023, (laughs) a.k.a. the future. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) All right. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.